I think this is a good time to just say that if you're listening to this episode and you have never listened to our show before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, spoilers, go back. You're really fucking up. You probably just shouldn't listen to the show. I don't think you're ready for it if you started here. <laughs> Maybe your second favorite show. Wow. Shrimp and Grits. <laughs> <laughs> it's our final Q&A for season one. <laughs> Saved it at the end. Very good. <laughs> How are we feeling, guys? I feel so good. I'm wide awake, ready to answer some burning questions. <laughs> Okay, most importantly, this is number one. Why do you is like Ryan play here? with my feelings like you do? No, don't I interrupt am, me. I'm I in am charge. Here. Okay. This is my <laughs> podcast. <laughs> okay. Apologies. Go ahead. Sorry, mommy. <laughs> don't call me. I'm daddy. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Love it. Ask the good one, Katie. I, I stopped you. Go ahead. Why do you like playing with my feelings like you do? That question is from Eli, and I think we all want to know, Ian, why do you play with our feelings like you do? Well, Katie, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> In the game Monster of the Week, the Keeper agenda is as follows. There's three bullet points. Make the world seem real, play to see what happens, and make the hunter's lives dangerous and scary. Oh. So why do I play with your feelings? Because it's my fucking job. <laughs> cool. he just left Great answer he walked away he's gone oh well katie let's move on with the rest of them just don't ask any that are free and let's continue <laughs> should i start out with a heavy hitter i've decided to come back to the podcast thank oh, you he's back i'm gonna start out with a heavy hitter i'm gonna hit everyone in the feels i'm so sorry ian this question is from Ghost. <laughs> did you ask? <laughs> did you ask or warn any of the cast about any? Of it? <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> did you ask or warn any of the cast about Ignis's death, or was that a complete surprise for everyone? How much shock, rage, and tears were there in the moment if it was a surprise? I don't think I warned anybody. No, Is that right? I'd like to take this question. Nope. Ian didn't warn anybody. And there was no sadness. There was only rage. I yeah. was very, very yeah. upset. And was, uh, I fought it. I got aggressive. <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, but I'm sure we did cut out a lot of just being surprised and not knowing if this was really happening. Because Ian does this thing, I don't know if you've noticed, over 80 <laughs> episodes, where he'll say something completely out of pocket and act like it's really happening. And then he'll be like, no, I was just kidding. And it's not. He does that a lot. And I thought that was one of these times. Uh, I thought, yeah, that was one of those times. 
and uh, it didn't react well. But, you know, we worked through it as a team, and we got over it, and we moved on. <laughs> Here's my thinking here, right? Like, um, I knew I knew that I didn't want Ari to die until he was able to at least attempt to fight and kill Goodfellow. Uh, I I wanted I wanted everyone to be able to contend with their own nemesis. You know, Sarah got to kill her dad. Ray eventually got to kill Genevieve. So I wanted Ari to be able to kill Goodfellow. And so when he doomed himself, when he spent his last luck, I had to think of something horrible to do to him that would be worse than death. Right. So yeah, that's what it felt you know. like. Ignis was the obvious, unfortunate target as a storyteller. Did help lead into my apotheosis, which I think was uh, useful for the narrative. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was definitely a long pause when Ignis died. Because I think we always wait for Ian to say whether he's joking or not. So there was like this very long, awkward, like, is it real? Is this really happening? Little keeper who cried wolf syndrome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't remember if it happened here, like it happened when Ari died. But when Ari died, we stopped the session early because we were just having a hard time playing. And I don't remember if that happened with Ignis, but I feel like something similar happened. Ryan, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, I thought it'd be Ari. <laughs> at that at that point yeah there was a moment where i was like is ari about to save ignis like is it gonna be the opposite way around like there was a, a moment yeah i thought it, i thought ari'd go before ignis it would have been fun to play the last arc as ignis <laughs> cap did you know ian was going to do that to ari at the end it seemed like you did but i'm very curious is it safe to assume even if you did Katie and Ryan didn't. What I'd give to hear the reactions to that. Also asked by Ghost. Did I know Ari was going to die? I knew Ari was going to die from episode one. <laughs> it was a matter of when Ari was going to die. Um, well, everyone's going to die, so I don't know if you guys know this. Everyone's going to die eventually. Ari was just closer than the rest of them. Cap loves his characters dying. <laughs> That's not true. I like characters with fulfilling arcs. That die at the end. All the way through. You know, it's, uh, every every story has, you know, you gotta close the book at some time. What we're saying is Cap has a messiah complex. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, much like Jesus, the Christ man, <laughs> died for the Christ sins of Golokochka. You're both um, Jewish, right? Yep. <laughs> Have great hair. Oh my god. Actually, they they might mean at the very, very end. No, we had no clue that Ari was going to come back to life. Mm. That was a complete shock. And I don't I honestly don't think we ever discussed it. I think it just felt so natural, at least to me. It yeah. felt so like like it was supposed to happen that way that like didn't even question it. I think Ian told me a few hours before recording just so I could have my voice ready. <laughs> I had a line in mine. No, I didn't have a line. You had a I line. In mine. Yeah, I, I had. I had a few hours to think about what I was going to say to Seeb, because Ian told me. But you know, sometimes Ian tells me things and they don't happen. Sometimes you know, he's he's very mercurial in his DMing. Sometimes he's a goddamn liar. Sometimes he's a goddamn liar. That's right, Katie. 
obviously I'm trying to tell a good story to our audience, but it's also very important to me that my players enjoy the game. And so I don't want to just like outright tell them everything that's about to happen because I want reactions to be genuine. I want them to be feeling real things, etc. Yeah, and I definitely teared up at that ending. There's a lot of feelings. <laughs> this is bittersweet. All right, on to something happier. Okay, because now I don't want to, I want to cry. All right, this question's for Ray. Hold on, where'd my little pencil go? <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> this is the third recording in a row that you've been looking for your tiny pencil, so maybe it's become so <laughs> tiny, it's, disappe- it's disappeared. <laughs> it's microscopic. It's, it's been getting smaller and smaller. <laughs> put a oh, no. put an air tag okay. on it. <laughs> this question is from Morgan. Ray always seems so confident in himself and others, and basically never seems to falter. Does he have any insecurities? Well, I mean, yeah, that's why he keeps all of his friends and family so close. That's. Half the reason, I mean, that's why everyone wanted to, you know, everyone wanted him to end up with Gail and everything, and he kept her so far away. His insecurity is himself, essentially, and his monstrous side. Wow, this is still sad. I thought I was going to be happier. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why you'd ask a question about insecurities. Insecurities? <laughs> expect it to be a lighthearted it's Ryan, I, I thought he was going to make a joke. I don't, I don't know. My insecurities is my farts don't sound cool enough. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, I mean his his insecurity is honestly just his loved ones being hurt because of him. So yeah, you see you see his insecurity on on display right right there at the end with that Gail convo. It's like she's clearly reaching out to him, and he's still trying to still thinking like maybe her life is better off without me. I thought that was cool. Swamp therapy right here. I like this. <laughs> I have a very important question. <laughs> this is something I want to know. This question is from Caffeine. What did Brittany tell Johnny when they mm. were on the phone in episode 61? <laughs> God, th- the fact that this comes up so much is hysterical to me. It's very important. I mean... It is, but it isn't. Johnny, I need you to let out my cats next weekend. (laughs) 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 To me, it's like a Ray Ray's dad situation to where like where it's like the what was said or the what the how it went down isn't necessarily totally important. Like it was just like a probably like a, you know, don't let Sarah die. Like, you know, but like in a tough, cool Britney way, you know, I, I didn't write anything for it. Yeah. I just thought it would be funnier if we didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> and it was because it clearly <laughs> hooked some people. It's up to the imagination. God, there's so many questions for Ian. I'm trying to find. I wonder why. You know, questions for multiple people here. <laughs> You can always get your hands on Ian's balls. God damn it. Whoa. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> wow. We can all talk about every question if, it is, if it's not a direct question like that one. <laughs> but can I get my hands on Ian's balls? <laughs> that is actually a question. Uh, from Ryan. Weird. Actually, uh, so our merch store is Fond of Me Lobster. If you go to Fondle Me Lobster... That's a completely separate <laughs> website, and we can have discussions. <laughs> FondaleeAnsLobster.com. 
Oh, this is a good one. From question from River, which piece of original music for the show is your favorite? Mm. Personally, they love Goodfellas theme. I love Ari's song, especially the ending of what is it, sixty four when Ari dies? Wow, spoilers. Whoa, Katie, knowing the <laughs> fucking <Sorry>. episode <laughs> numbers, I remembered, man. <laughs> yeah, that that is the one episode that if anyone like if 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 I needed to show my my resume to someone that's the episode I would point to. I think this is a good time to just say that if you're listening to this episode and you have never listened to our show before, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're really fucking you're back. really fucking up. You probably just shouldn't listen to the show. I don't think you're ready for it if you started here. <laughs> I'm scrolling through the music right now. I really like Blue Blood song, the like beat the Tallahassee beat during the war that is incredible yeah I'm gonna be honest with that one I was watching season I think it's season one of the Mandalorian and fucking uh, Moff Gideon shows up for the first Mm. time and it's like the first trap beat that's ever been in a piece of Star (laughs) Wars media and it was like such a cool like the villain has a trap beat get the fuck Mm -hmm. out of here and I was like I have to do that for these vampires (laughs) Ryan, what about you? Mine's a little biased, but it's Ray's theme, because I wrote it. Mm. <laughs> also, it slaps. I wrote it, but also I just really <laughs> love that riff, just the multiple riffs that I wrote in that sequence. It's like, I was really I was really proud of it. Good. You should be. I mean, also our, our fucking theme song yeah. slaps. Yeah. Ryan wrote the bones of our theme song, yeah. I have an answer. Because this scene makes me cry. I can listen to it any time. From the first Halloween episode, the last scene with Barb, the Barb the River Maid song. (laughs) That is my favorite scene in our entire show, I think. And that is my favorite song in the whole show. Wow. It is is so good. I can can say that confidently. That scene is... I would I would give it an award if I could. Uh, my favorite might actually be the Genevieve theme Ooh, because yeah. it was fun. I didn't think I was very good at slide guitar until I recorded it, and also like anytime I get to play like rock, mm-hmm. basically it's a good time for me. Full disclosure, I'm totally editing this in as I'm editing this episode, but how could I forget Ibasa's theme, the Wishing Well theme, is per- particularly its most recent iterations are just so, uh, so fun. They were so cool to work work on. I'm really thrilled with how they, how it ended up. So that's probably my answer for this question. Back to the pre-recorded bits. Oh my God, what was that one song? Was it from the end of the gnomes? Oh, oh the, the Jesus song? God? Jesus song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. The That's fake the Christian song. song. You got to put that on the uh, yes. the playlist on SoundCloud. Oh, yeah, that, sure. one, yeah. that one was incredible. Everybody needs to hear that song. It's the best song I've ever heard. $10 a month. You can listen to all the songs from the show on our Patreon. Uh, <laughs> good, plug, good plug. I promise I will update that at some point. I'll also say on on Patreon, I so I'm, I was also very proud of Gator Crab's theme because oh that was so uh, good. I also yeah. wrote that one, but I it was so goofy and banjo kazooie themed. I was like, damn, this is cool. I enjoyed that. You make good music, guys. Cap and I have nothing to do with it. Cap and I are basically useless. Yeah. Moving on. Okay. <laughs> 
All right, this question is from Faye. At what point was there a plan for how the final arc was going to go down conflict-wise? Like, was Atlantis in the works from the beginning? Was there an alternate plan that was scrapped as the story progressed? Or was it just kind of feeling it out until it came up naturally? Well, you see, Faye, we really wanted to take a... Um... <laughs> oh, where's this going? No, keep it rolling. Yeah, I love this. I instantly lost it. I had no... I had no... Professor Raymond, let's go. <laughs> I have my books open. I'm ready to take notes. I, too, want to know how early you actually planned Atlantis. Day one, right? Oh, Atlantis. Yes, Atlantis was in the works from the beginning. It's the disc. The disc was Atlantis. It always oh, yeah, was. Shit. Fuck. Fuck or not. <laughs> there was always a person in the disc. I, mm. I don't think I had, like, figured out who Calliope was until a few arcs in. Mm-hmm. Um. But I don't know, to borrow a term from a storyteller I don't like very much, J.J. Abrams, the disc was definitely a mystery box, but I knew what the mystery was. I had it in my mind that, like, yes, we're going to play Monster of the Week and do these um, monster mysteries episode by episode, but I also had an idea for the mystery overall, like what the quote-unquote monster was. Not that Atlantis was a monster, but I definitely wanted there to be an issue with what do we do about Atlantis, uh, a moral quandary, so to speak. It just was uh, very convenient that so much of the story ended up being the Fae, because like th- that wasn't me. The Fae was, was, ca- was something that Ari brought into the story um, that I probably wouldn't have even touched on if he hadn't. So it ended up working so well because... I was able to frame it as like Atlantis is gone because the Fae hates them. And mm-hmm. now you have to figure out whose side are you're going to take, or if you're, how are you going to find peace between these two massive forces? The final arc almost came to be after Ari looked into the future with the Omni. Cause you didn't have like a ground. You didn't have a plan. We, we had to figure out what to do. And that definitely uh, pushed the final arc forward. Yeah, the first part of that question, at what point was there a plan for how the final arc was going to go down? Never. <laughs> I mean, I, I, <laughs> I didn't know what they were going to do. So we just kind of took it episode by episode and uh, ended up how it ended up. Uh, to yeah. ask a question from me, from what you just said, um, you said that you had no plans for the Fae and I brought it in. Isn't it <laughs> like... Could you ever have imagined that the show would end with a monologue from William Shakespeare? <laughs> because, <laughs> like, <laughs> I didn't. No, I don't think anyone saw that coming, including any of us. <laughs> I will. I mean, I will say that uh, I get a lot of people being like, "Man, this quote was really good," and I have to be like, "That wasn't me. That was literally Shakespeare." <laughs> so I guess. Uh, it was, but the ones that are you are just so good. Well, but they're so good. Well, thank you. But like, I either way, <laughs> using Shakespeare makes me sound a lot smarter and better at well, writing than I am. <laughs> <laughs> kind of piggybacking off of that, Jake asked um, Ian, "How much of the world building and story did you start with? To what extent were you writing as you went along? Did you have an end in mind when you started, or did it evolve to the ending?" Oh, uh, that's a great question, um, and I kind of touched on that. I did have Gullicochica, the setting planned. I had a monster of the week group 
that I ran with. I, I convinced my D&D group to switch to Monster of the Week. Ryan and I had already started talking about making a podcast someday. And I was like, okay, but if I was going to do an actual play, I'd probably want to run a system like Monster of the Week. So I essentially play tested the first uh, part of our campaign with this other group. I mean, I guess what would eventually became, become our campaign. Um, and yeah, I ran through more or less with the same notes, the trash golem arc, the trash king arc, the swamp ape arc, that is, uh, the siren arc. Uh, so those three arcs, I had actually already played with another group. They ended up entirely different. <laughs> I don't remember what they did with the disc, to be honest with you. Um, they but... didn't give it to their boss who worked for a magical organization yeah definitely yeah they definitely didn't give it to their uh to the fae to goodfellow but but you know that's about all that i had planned before we started recording the wild arc was totally like you know thrown together based on wanting to go arrest zegnar um the tate's hell arc obviously or the the tate's hell episode All of the arcs were fueled from our failures. <laughs> I mean, that's how Monster of the Week works, but that kind of feels like what happened. Yeah, yeah. We had like three Tallahassee arcs because we fucked up every time we went to Tallahassee. Okay, from one of our earliest listeners, shout out to Jaguar, one of the best people. Ray Ray was the only one who did not change playbooks while everyone else changed at least once. I was wondering how this impacted the dynamic of the game, gameplay, everyone's understanding of each other as characters. Um, I'm going to kind of piggyback off that and ask, if you had changed playbooks, what playbook do you think you would have gone with? Well, I'll start with what you asked, which if I had to change playbooks, I probably would have went with The Chosen. Uh, Interesting. Because that's the only that's the only thing that would have made sense to me as a character. The Prince of Atlantis. Ooh, that's also why I was pretty adamant because there were multiple times throughout the campaign that Ian was asking me if I'm interested in changing playbooks and what would I want to do and if I want to do anything. And honestly, the character of Ray was so very specific and important to me that I was like, I have no intention of changing his playbook because I feel like that's changing his being in a lot of ways. I'm like, I that's the thing with a lot of Monster of the Week playbooks is like you kind of have to completely change your point of view. And um, I wanted to try to maintain Ray as much as I possibly could throughout this story. So that's... That's why I opted out of ever wanting to change playbooks because I wanted to make sure that he was still good old Ray. His values did not change. It just, they just grew. I think Sarah and Ari have a lot of growing to do um, just through their arcs. Not that Ray doesn't grow (laughs) or anything like that, but... um... I think it made more sense for Sarah and Ari to change, but Ray and Ryan are very stubborn <laughs> and set in their ways. <laughs> and that definitely comes off. Yeah, I think Sarah and Ari had 
arcs of trying to find themselves without being under the heel of both Goodfellow and the memory of your father. Yeah. And I think they had to break those boxes they were in and then figure out who they were from there. And Ray knew who he was all yeah. the fucking time. <laughs> Ray's arc to me was, was until the end, it was about, like, he always knew who he was. His arc until the end was defining what it meant to be, like, defining the difference between being a monster and being a person. And we see his choices, the lines in the sand that he draws when he uh, decides to kill. Like, he makes the distinction, are you going to live on my retreat or am I going to make sure you're not going to hurt anybody again? And I think that's the cool thing about Ray Ray's arc is that it's about growing his family and, yeah, defining that that dichotomy of who, of who he is. Yeah, that's why I didn't really want to not be the monstrous because yeah. I felt like it would take away from the character and values that I was trying to build for myself. I wanted to stay a monster, essentially. And um, kind of along the same thread, this question was asked a lot, but I personally like the way that Jay asked it best, so I'm going to Ooh. read that one. Katie, you had like three different playbooks. What was your least favorite, and why was it the spooky? <laughs> <laughs> why was... <laughs> Oh, man. The spooky is my favorite playbook. <laughs> yeah, I actually a lot of people ask this question, so I'll try to just answer it overall. I loved the spooky. I think that was my favorite of all the, you know, seasons of Sarah or whatever the fuck. <laughs> seasons of Sarah, That's my new a, ro- a romantic <laughs> novel about two lesbians living in Tallahassee. <laughs> yep. In the deep south. Um, and the roommate Greg. No, the spooky. <laughs> the spooky was no, no. I actually really loved the spooky. Um, I did not expect it at all. That was one of those instances where Ian kind of pulled me aside and said, "I'm going to give you a big choice here, and I want <laughs> you to be able to consider your options before we play it out and all that." Um, so I did know that it was coming. I actually decided in the moment, though, I, d- I did not decide beforehand um, just with how everything played out. But I I ended up loving that. I mean, nice. A lot of the times I choose characters that are very mundane, just in general. Um, so getting to have any sort of magical powers <laughs> was super cool for me. Jake asked. Ian, the scene where Sarah became an expert seemed really geared towards making her a divine. Whose idea was that bait and switch? Uh, we can answer this together. Oh, Daddy Ian. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Daddy Katie. We're both daddies. We're each other's daddy. <laughs> I, I hate it. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. I am wearing a shirt that says cat daddy. So I'm actually wearing a shirt that says the child. <laughs> <laughs> it's a baby Yoda's shirt. Oh my god. Well <laughs> and Ryan's not wearing I'm a the shirt. child. <laughs> Ryan's butt ass. <laughs> Just like every recording. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I didn't really see it as a bait and switch. I know it kind of seen it uh came across that way. It was an opportunity for her to reject 
further servitude. She's like, I've I've served in the shadow of my father. I've served in the shadow of the devil of Tate's hell. And now another mighty creature wants me to serve as its champion. Uh, no, I'm good on my own now. Uh, so that that's that's kind of why that scene was framed that way because it Sarah needed to reject that that further power with mm-hmm. consequences or power with conditions. Yeah, and that's why I, you know, was drawn to the expert because I did feel like that completed Sarah's arc, um, finally coming into her own, realizing that she's a badass monster hunter and she can fucking do this. Our friend Susanna asks, what were everyone's favorite monsters? Uh, I want to hear from Ian first, I think. What was what was your favorite monster? You were the monster daddy. My favorite monster is the friends we made along the way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that was my answer. Damn it. <laughs> Christ. <laughs> I'm looking at, okay, um, I'm looking at just our titles here, kind of refreshing my memory, uh, because it's hard to not just say all of them, because I they were all they were all monsters Your I was children. excited about yeah. running. The lighthouse guy? But the lighthouse guy. To be honest. The <laughs> <laughs> lighthouse guy. Oh, I changed my answer. It's the lighthouse guy. <laughs> yeah. Willem, Willem Dafoe. I also really liked Gear as a monster. Gear was a fun, like, quote-unquote monster because they, as a faction, were the true monster of the Altamahaha arc, which was cool because, like, you know, you frame the monster as the monster and it ends up that the monster is the victim. I thought that was a fun trope to turn around. Off the top of my head, I gotta say, I don't know if this... I mean, it is a monster. We fought them, but Pool, Prince Pool was so much yeah. fun throughout the entire show. Like the the fight where we all switched bodies in the wild was very fun. And then pool coming back in clutch being the pumpkin king at the end and just pool party jokes way too fun. True. Maybe the most villainous, most scary is the trash ape. I mean, well, we've never been so conflicted like as a party as to what to do with somebody and they were the most truly evil monster, I feel like. I mean, good fellow obviously, blah blah blah, but the trash ape was just vicious and cruel. I hate them. <laughs> oh, I kind of want to like just for a second open up the swamp ape conversation. Ew, stinks in here because um, <laughs> I know knowing what I think the true origins of the swamp ape were. I kind of view the swamp ape as like sort of a victim. Oh, hot take. Well, because like I don't know, he's a. Clearly a science experiment gone wrong. Yeah. But I don't know. I guess I view him as maybe the ultimate manifestation of if Ari never yeah. left the FAE. You know what I was I mean? about to say the same thing. He reminds me a lot of Ari if Ari just didn't learn, you know? He's an example of when you let your trauma overcome you, I guess, is what yeah. I'm saying. No, I feel that. That's why I had such a hard time killing him, I feel like. I Ari tried again and again for him not to die, but there was really no place to put the swamp ape because they smell so bad ryan katie favorite monsters mine's very obvious it's genevieve yeah it has has to be genevieve Uh, i answered the ray's insecurities questions earlier like i consider genevieve like all of those insecurities 
Yeah. Sure. That Ray has to fight. It's also like the evil mirror of Loretta. Uh, outside that, I mean, shit, I have so many. Just like, you know, the, the friends that we've met along the way. I love <laughs> Alti and Alma. I love Carlita. Uh, Kevin, Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. That was a fun thing for me. I do, I do love the dynamic with the skunk ape, uh, specifically, specifically characters that Ian or monsters that Ian acts out. I fucking adored Knox. <laughs> yeah, Knox <laughs> like, was hilarious. Oh, you mean me? <laughs> like, the, the like I, I it's might, I might think poop. daily about the scene when we're in Donnie's office and Ian just decides that Knox is in the. We're all in the office and then <laughs> Ian the decides Knox is in the corner. <laughs> I probably, like, I know that's not canon, but like, I probably think about that a on a daily basis. <laughs> so that might be my favorite monster that Ian acted out is just Knox. Like, Knox was fucking great, even though, even though it's probably for like the complete wrong reasons that Ian doesn't love because it's supposed to be one of his most menacing <laughs> things he made. But <laughs> well, you made all your monsters humanized in that way. Well, and I knew from the beginning that Knox wasn't Sarah's villain. Knox was yeah. Danny's villain. So, yeah, there was definitely an intention to make him not totally serious because, like, I knew that it wasn't going to be the biggest deal. Like, you know, eventually he was going to die, but I knew Sarah's real challenge would be taking out Danny. Yeah, and we didn't know about yeah. Danny when we met Knox. I mean, we knew about Danny, but we didn't know about Darth Payne. Yeah, but I'd I'd say over all of them, I'd, I mean, I have to say Genevieve because that's literally Ray's demons. Oh, actually, no. Sp- speaking of Ray's <laughs> demons, uh, oh, Claude. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Claude. I have to give Claude honorable mention because I literally created him in my dreams. That's a really good point. I was gonna say Claude. I literally dreamt Claude, and then I messaged the group. Hey, I had this weird dream about this really shitty little imp that just kept trying to do good and be scary, and he was just kind of a little piece of shit. And it's just like <laughs> I, I have a so yeah, Claude. Claude is close to my heart too. Of course, Katie. What's your answer? All right. Oh, I was gonna say Claude. So nice. <laughs> he answered it for me. Why? Why do you like Claude? Um, the fucking voice that he attempted to. Claude became my best friend. That was like my favorite interactions. Sarah interactions were with Claude. I love getting to be fucked up. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) On nights or whatever the fuck I was. Every time I got to talk to Claude, it was amazing. All right. This question is from Lauren. What one thing do you wish your character at the end of the campaign could tell themselves at the beginning? I don't necessarily know what Sarah would say to Sarah, but I know what I would say to myself at the beginning of this. I think that we have all grown so much, just like as people, as friends, as players. I definitely look back. I heard, I think it was Cap making the the thing for Twitter the other day that had like the flashbacks with our first recording session and like 
when Ian said, I'm your keeper or whatever. And like, <laughs> great impression. We sounded like babies. And I, I don't make fun of me. That clip of, of Sarah saying, talking about like pulling Johnny Metters over or whatever happens in, in the first three arcs. And I would just tell Sarah to just lighten up. <laughs> Trust your gut. Nice, nice. Use the move. Yeah, because I, I think that we definitely, I've become more confident. I know that Cap has definitely. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to give you a compliment. I know. Cap's, Cap's definitely, you know, grown as a human and a player. Ryan's still the same old stubborn Ryan, but he's still great. He always was. <laughs> and Ian, of course, had to let go of a little bit of control. <laughs> I didn't mean to answer that whole question. You, you yeah, I don't even remember what the question answer. was. You almost didn't answer the question. I don't feel like you answered that question at all. Ray would tell himself he needs dump to work. <laughs> the kitchen that <laughs> night and he can't have the weekend off. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That's a, that's a good one to be honest with you. <laughs> if I'm being completely real here, just, hey, Dump, you can't go to the beach. I'm Jumanjing this shit. <laughs> just... I should have spent a luck to save Azolda. You need to find Seab Tate and work on your character voice. <laughs> That's what you would tell him. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Ian, what would you tell yourself at the beginning of this game? You're not a character. Hey, he could be whatever he wants to be. I would tell myself to get the truth out there sooner. Because <laughs> in the end, Perfect. it was the truth that saved Gullicochica. Ah. Uh. That's true. <laughs> The episode was called that. Ah, uh, I would tell myself nothing because the journey <laughs> has been perfect. It's been everything it's needed to be. Okay. Crush. Sorry, moving on. Ten points to you. Excellent. Okay. I would also tell myself if I attack the bear with my claws, it will die. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't want to do that. R.I.P. the bear. We could have had a cool bear on the retreat this whole time that we, like, talked to and was an ally <laughs> to the end. Hello and welcome to Shrimp and Crits. I want to thank you for listening to our very special season one finale Q&A episode. I have a couple things I want to mention at the top here. Uh, first of all, we don't say it enough. Special thanks to LaRange, that's L apostrophe orange, uh, who is a dear friend of mine, uh, but donated the outro music that we used for season one. Really a special privilege to get to use a LaRange beat for uh, our show. 
If you don't listen to his music, you should. It's fantastic. It's uh, kind of boom bap style hip hop, uh, old school jazz records mixed up into hip hop beats. He has different MCs kind of guest on his tracks. So uh, I really encourage you to check out LaRange's music. Also, as promised, we're doing a little bit of a giveaway. Uh, we have a signed Gullicochica poster. That is the wonderful art that Davin Gerber did for our postcards. Uh, made up into a nice print size to hang on your wall. This one is signed by the cast. Katie, Ryan, Cap, and I have all signed. I'm going to have the computer pick a number. And that's going to determine the winner. Can I have a drum roll, please? It's Jay. Jay, thank you so much. Uh, you are a great and wonderful patron, and you're an awesome part of our Discord. Uh, Jay is very active there and is very funny. He always greets new people. Uh, if you ever join our Discord, you'll see him as uh, SNC's intrusive thoughts. So... <laughs> So Jay will be in touch about sending that poster to you. I'll send you some other little goodies as well. Uh, yeah, thank you for your support. And thanks to everyone who submitted a question. These, honestly, were such a cool and great and thoughtful crop of questions. A couple other things. We had a question about, like, unused ideas uh, that I thought was really cool. I don't think we... Uh, and I wanted to expand upon now that I've edited a little bit of the Q&A. I've got my show notes pulled up. I've got some of my prep notes um, pulled up, and I want to just share some fun things. I have a little brainstorm thing, different ideas that I thought could make good arcs. Um, one here, uh, <laughs> the first bullet point is Toad King can turn people into toads. Uh, poison Bite, Fey Origin. I ended up scrapping that because we came up with the idea <laughs> of Kramit the Toad. We ended up incorporating him into one of the one of the Lost in the Wild specials. Um, so that was my little take on the Toad King that I, I based on a Brothers Grimm tale, uh, which was super, super fun. Um, I also, the next bullet point is Basilisk, which I kind of did. Alti is certainly a Basilisk, uh, at least uh, she was made into one, uh, given the stone vision power by the experimentations of gear. Uh, but yeah, in that, I have paramil paramilitary group carrying back from the Amazon in a helicopter. I ended up changing it to the Altamaha, which means they are carrying it back from Georgia. Um, it escapes, helicopter crashes, loose in Gullicochka. Yeah, that happened. Kind of interesting. Um, create a ghost monster that promises doom until they put its body to rest. Uh, I have your Inspired by the Ring, which definitely didn't happen, but it would be super cool to run a Monster of the Week mystery based on the ring. Uh, I kind of incorporated the ghost idea uh, into the Lighthouse arc. Here's another little outline document I have that has a bunch of the arcs that I did end up using, and I kind of edited this as I went, so some of them are... Some of the ones that I never end up using have been removed already. I have one just called Shork Attack, because uh, I really wanted to do an arc where there was kind of a Street Shark-style villain uh, just to freak Donnie out, but never ended up getting there. Uh, a John Gory arc, which we mentioned in this Q&A here, uh, that ended up getting scrapped just because um, didn't have time. 
An NPC becomes a demon. Oh, this is inspired by the episode of Buffy where Giles wakes up and he is a demon and Buffy is hunting them, him the whole time and the whole time he's trying to explain to everyone that he isn't a demon, uh, but I couldn't figure out logistically how to make that work in an audio format. And the last one I'll mention that was something that I know I wanted to do but ended up scrapping. I wanted to do a Kraken as a as the monster. Um... I wanted to do it when they went to the Atlantis portal that was out in the middle of the Gulf. Um, it would have been um, really cool and scary to see how they contend with something quite so massive. Um, but it ended up feeling so much more personal just to have Calliope and the established monsters and villains that we had be the ones defending them so um yeah unfortunately that didn't work out but i do i do love that it was you know jill and calliope and that we got the scenes out of that that we ended up getting there's no new patrons to thank this week um i do want to thank the patrons that have been taking care of us all of the, all along the way it's very meaningful Thanks for bearing with us as we've rested on our laurels a little bit with the bonus content. Uh, I think we've created a lot of stuff for patrons to listen to, um, but recently just taken a little bit of a break just so I can get caught up uh, with life stuff and make the finale as great as it can be. Though we don't plan on taking much of a break for our regular show, I am going to take my time getting back to really pumping out the Patreon content. Uh, we'll get back to Tallahassee Nights as soon as we can. Scheduling has been tough lately with the four of us, so uh, I promise we will get back to all of that, and it will be fantastic. If you've been on the fence about joining us for Patreon, it is a great time to join. There's over 24 hours of content on there uh, exclusively for you. It is a great deal. You can get access to it for as little as $5 a month, as well as access to our Discord, which is a super fun community. So uh, please join us if you'd like to. God, I hate selling you guys. You already do so much for us just by listening. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Shrimp and Crits. If you haven't already, please rate and review us or follow us or whatever your podcatcher lets you do. We are a bi-weekly show on Mondays. That is not changing. Our next episode, you'll find out at the end of this Q&A what it's going to be, and it will be out May 22nd. Please stay posted. You can join our Discord channel to get our announcements, or you can see what we have to say on Twitter. If we have to delay that, we certainly will let you know, because um, it's a new arc and a new story and a new setting, so I definitely want to make sure we get it right. Hopefully everyone who has enjoyed this season will stick around to see what we continue to produce. Um, and yeah, we will see you next time. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of the Q&A. Dixon.
did the Wild, Atlantis, and the Overgrown start an interdimensional sports league as a way to sort out all their differences? Okay, I do want to chime in immediately here. When when I was writing my narration for the epilogue, like what Gullicochka looks like now that everything's integrated, I considered there being like a sports arena. <laughs> like, where they're playing mm-hmm. some wild sport that's been... Uh, invented by the combination of like football and Atlantis technology, but mm-hmm. uh, it just would be, would have been too much to put in a quick monologue. Be a good way to bring our Golakochka guppies back to the the main stage. Yeah, the, yeah. the hockey team. True. It actually, honestly, here's my canon, my totally canon answer. I will accept no other variations. Um, <laughs> s- somebody showed Calliope. Uh, Final Fantasy X. Yep. <laughs> and Atlanta said, "Okay, we can make Blitzball real." And now That's there's a Blitzball league in uh, in Golikochka because Blitzball is the greatest mini game of any video game ever. I I have a loose ends question for Ian. Going off script? Yeah, one off script. I just thought about it when he started talking about that. That clue Sarah found about the refrigeration guy. The ice museum. Yeah. What? 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 What is that? Um, I, I don't think that the, I think the mundane luck move, I, I don't have it in front of me, but I think it doesn't specify that it, it, it says it might be useful. Okay. Okay. I was asking if you had anything planned that we just didn't see or if it was literally just random. It was on my list of like things that could be an arc, but I never, okay. it just never clicked for me or never came up in yeah. a, in a way that I thought I could work it in. But yeah, John Gorey is the actual person who invented the icebox which would eventually become the refrigerator and he did live in Apalachicola, florida which is the can which is where gullicochka uh, is based um, and there is a john gory museum there so i thought it would be kind of interesting since you know the gator man's weakness is cold so it would be a challenge uh-huh. for ray uh to kind of do like a jack frost type thing there but then jack frost just ended up being what he was so Interesting. It was a potential plot thread and or red herring. Yeah, I love it. Ryan, do you want me to ask you about your father? You already t- kind of touched on. I figured it could be a dad. quick answer. Oh, this is a very quick answer. This is a yeah. easy. This is an easy answer. This question's from Nan Ray. <laughs> nope. I broke. <laughs> Ray had adamantly stated that if his father showed up in the show, he would not continue the podcast. Will he be returning for season two? Um, no. (laughs) Because Ray is not returning to season two. Oh. (laughs) Got him. Got him. No. All right, all right. I'll ask another one. Well, hold on, Ryan. You... Are you coming back for season two? <laughs> yeah, yeah, wait. I mean, my Ryan. name is Ryan. <laughs> Ray Ryan will not be a character back. in season two. We're retiring his number. <laughs> no more. We're not that's, allowed that's to name any is. other characters. No, no NPCs will be Ray. Done. Mm-hmm. Sealed. Signed. Hey, guys, hate to spoil it. it season two is not Golakochka. Dum dum dum. We'll touch on that later. Galatuchica. <laughs> Nan also asked, "Who would you want to come on the show to play an NPC, and which one?" I personally would love to see Justin McElroy come on and play fucking Claude, or <laughs> who else could it possibly be? 
What's another really You're good being voice? boring. Leo would have been good. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's shoot okay. let's shoot for the GoPros Dan, here. I want Tom Tom Brady as Tom Brady I want, playing Tom Brady. Dude, I want Will Ferrell as Donnie Terrence. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's wild. Oh my god. Ian? <laughs> I mean, we already said mine a few questions ago. Willem Dafoe as the lighthouse. Yeah. Oh. oh, yeah. Willem Dafoe is all the characters, <laughs> except for Tom Brady, obviously. <laughs> well, here's a good question. Loop asked, How y'all doing? How y'all doing? Good, and you? Oh, I'm glad to hear it. Well, this this kind of kind of piggybacks. So Kylie asked, "How have y'all dealt with session bleed? Like, did you have post recording check ins after particularly difficult sessions? I imagine if I was crying after listening, y'all were in the thick of it during and after. Our first big conflict was the fight in the cloud. Yeah, that fight felt weird. It, it felt, felt real. So weird. Yeah." Instead of a blooper that episode, we actually had a very, very genuinely heartbroken Cap asking yeah. how he could fix it. And it makes me want to cry every single time I hear it. But I mean, no, we're we're all really good friends. I think we have, you know, a handle on reading each other at this mm-hmm. point. So um, if there's ever any issues, I feel like we hit them head on and when Ari died we tried to jump into the next scene and then we what we recorded like 30 minutes and we were like we can't fucking do this yeah we didn't we didn't use any of that I don't think yeah that was the only time that I remember that we've ever scrapped a large portion of recording and it was because yeah we tried to record a little bit of the next episode after the scene of Ari fucking flying into the goddamn green star or whatever yeah. <laughs> just didn't feel right uh nobody was able to focus so we just i i did use some of it like i think i used parts of your conversation with Brittany. Mm-hmm. i think i pieced yeah, some things you together could, you could tell how fucking unhinged i was because that was when the moonwalking finger guns <laughs> <laughs> but that was so good that was classic katie <laughs> I was just trying to cope. I was so fucking yeah. sad and I was just trying to be funny. We do deal with a lot of intense and deep things on the show, but like on our side of it, before you hear it, I, I, I think specifically about scenes between Ari and Goodfellow in like mid season, there's a lot of intense, like almost yelling at each other between Ian and I. And sometimes we did those scenes, just him and I, but we, take our time in those scenes and we go slow and we think about what we're going to say, which doesn't translate to how the scene plays out when it's edited, but it does help having time to think about what you're going to say in that character so that you don't bleed into it. Also in almost every one of our most serious scenes, I have edited out a bunch of really stupid uh, fart level jokes yeah. uh, from adjacent dialogue lines. So sometimes, yes, the scenes are really heavy, but we're feeling okay because like yeah. we're breaking the tension by goofing off a little bit. Like literally not... anytime so anyone says a word slightly wrong, we need to take five oh, minutes yeah. to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> like the pee foul. We're all pretty big on mental health and I don't think we've ever 
Yeah. We've never recorded if one of us was not feeling up to it. Yeah, exactly. Thankfully, we haven't really had to deal with delays other than planned like vacations and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I would, I think I, I make it pretty clear that I would rather just cancel a session than put anyone's yeah health, health mental health at risk. All right. And you can go to betterhelp.com. I slash you took it out of my mouth. I was there. We were all there. Slash shrimp. If your podcast won't delay for your mental health, then you need to go to betterhelp.com slash shrimp. <laughs> all right. This question is from Tarquin. What are the logistics of Ari coming back after using up all his magical energy? Can he no longer use magic or was he in a sense reborn prior to his apotheosis state. I think we touched on this in the Discord chat. But, Ian, if you would tell our listeners. Yeah, um, okay, yeah. So I view it as a rebirth of sorts. Um, like Jesus. The way, <laughs> <laughs> the way the chronicled magic works is the chronicler has to write the story. But at that point, it's not up to him how powerful the chronicled become. It's it it's how widely and often i suppose the story becomes enjoyed so and maybe there's an intangible element to it there's an unpredictability to it i view ari's return as a rebirth like this is a different ari born of the stories told about him which makes the ending a little bit more on the bittersweet side um but You know, it certainly it gives more weight to his death because he he doesn't return as he was. He returns as he will be. Uh, Oh, and I think somebody else asked, does this mean I don't know who asked this. Does this mean Sarah and Ray are also chronicled? That is asked by Ghost once again. Does that mean Sarah and Ray Ray are chronicled now, too? All caps, all exclamation, all question marks. I think so. I mean, they didn't die, and so they weren't reborn. But yeah, I think that they are given power by the words of the story told about them. That was my intention. What a cool way to honor these characters in that they're all sort of written in time in this way. It's also kind of fucked up when you think about it, because aren't chronicled like immortal or some shit? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Ray specifically says he would like to die someday. (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, we didn't explore this at all, but I think that Chronicles, Chronicles are stories and Mm -hmm. stories have endings. So, you know, I I don't necessarily think like they, they live forever. I just think that they live until their story is over. Something something like that. I don't know. And if that, you know that actually is wonderful. That actually sounds <laughs> great. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. Some chronicled abuse their power and use it to live forever. I think that that's that's exploitable for sure, but yeah. Okay. Tight. Tight, tight, tight. All right, this question is from Mr. Ray, which we kind of touched on earlier, but why didn't we see more of Ray Ray's love interest or story? Um, Because that was not Ray's story. Like That's not what was important to me or to Ray. Not saying, like, Gail isn't important to Ray or anything, but he 
had no interest in, you know, she went off and she made a good life for herself and he had no interest in bringing her back here. Especially not while all this crazy shit was going on. <laughs> yeah. Taking her away from her great life and great career. Um, Ray's interests were in keeping his family and, you know, home together and up. So, and uh, from a Ryan standpoint, I just didn't want it to be, I didn't want that to be something that defined Ray. I didn't want to worry about a love story or anything. I wanted to keep my story very clear. Yeah. But now that everything is great and dandy, he can bring Gail into his life and arms and we could all just think that and be happy and don't ruin it. Or y'all can, or <laughs> you can do whatever you want with that. Yep, yep. I I think it's really cool that when we introduced the character Gale, I don't know if you remember this, but I think we just like, we totally improved what her career in Tallahassee, or in, yep. in Tampa Bay was. Mm-hmm. And it's, totally coincidental that when i sat down to write the uh the kind of epilogue monologue you know and i'm imagining what the world might look like now and and i imagined you know the rebuilding of the of the picket area which was destroyed by the storms um and how that could be like the new down like quote unquote downtown like big tall buildings area so i when i when i said all that i wasn't thinking, oh, that's a way that Gail could come back to Gullicochica. Um, but it ended up working out so, so well because, you know, she's an architect and obviously there would be a shit ton of opportunity for her in Gullicochica now. Yeah. This question is from Pseudo Ludo. Ari definitely has a touching reunion with Sarah and Ray Ray too, right? Because if you say no, Ian, I will absolutely cry. I mean, this isn't my. I was down for that, but will, will you cry if I say no? We talked, yeah, we talked about this. <laughs> Cap is the true villain of this story. I mean, yeah, you guys give us enough Patreon money, we'll do whatever you want. But in my head, <laughs> <laughs> in my head, Ari has died, and he is enjoying his time in his own personal heaven with Seed. But again, it could happen. Hey, I mean, honestly, in my head, that is kind of the same yeah. situation as I don't want Ari to not not saying it negatively, but like I wouldn't want no. Ari to show up. And yeah, I agree. Like we've all had like our closure kind of. It would almost be cruel to after Sarah and Ray mourn Ari yeah. for him to come back and just be like, sup, I'm not really back. I live in Sieb's farm. Goodbye. <laughs> I'll say no and make you cry, Pseudo Ludo. I'm sorry. Uh, Pseudo Ludo also did an amazing Ray Ray cosplay for Halloween, and props to you for that. That was awesome. Yes. <laughs> that was dope. Jaguar had another good question. Is there an NPC that took on a bigger role than you initially thought they would? Is there an NPC that you thought was going to have a bigger role but ended up not? I'm also very curious, Ian. Mm-hmm. Me too. On the edge of my fucking seat. This is a really hard question to answer quickly. Mm. Brittany, I think that was not planned at all. Yeah. Brittany's a good example, but but not really, though, because, like, I made Brittany a big deal because you invent... Like, anytime you guys give yeah. me something, I'm going to mm-hmm. do my very best to take it and make it a big part of the show. Like, 
look at the LaRue wildlife retreat, look at agent Goodfellow. you know, like, yeah. Anytime you guys give me a story nugget, it's, I consider it my number one priority to like make that what the show is. Um, yeah, because yeah. it feels more natural. Merog blew up in a big way, for sure. Merog is actually a, a better example, I would say, because Merog was supposed to be just like a smart kid. And, yeah. well, and she was uh, like smart. She's like a smart, sassy kid. And, uh, but yeah, she obviously grew into this total uh bad <laughs> badass like in a huge way so yeah Merog's a good example i'm trying to think um maybe leo mm-hmm. <laughs> leo was just supposed to be for that one like i don't even know when i came up with that voice <laughs> and thick rick obviously way bigger role than initially intended almost the entirety <laughs> of the final episode of our show was <laughs> yep this fucking guy all right and a couple people actually asked this. I think Ghost asked something similar, um, and River asked, um, would it be weird if fans sent you guys stuff from other than postcards? And I am actually sitting in front of the dang beanie that our listener, God, I hope they're still listening. <laughs> um, Sarah from Mississippi made us in the very beginning so yes, the answer is yes. Send us whatever the fuck you want. Maybe not yeah, like I... foot pictures. Or uh, don't send us whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> Think carefully about the things you send us and how we will react to them as human beings. <laughs> but we, we definitely love, I mean, the postcards, even just the postcards. We Ian will share them in our chat and it just, I think it, it makes my day. It, I know it probably does the same. Also, a big shout out to Kylie for the really fun collection of cross stitches. Uh, there was oh, yeah. a mm-hmm. Ignis one and a dang one and a what could go wrong with red lightning. That was a super nice gift. Yeah, we love stuff. We do. We're normal human beings. We, we love things. It really grounds everything we do. The postcards, especially just hearing about who you are as the listener of our show, you know, as a human being who listens to the product that we make it, we genuinely care about that. And it really is awesome to get those postcards from all around the world. There's something about like us being able to write back in character too. That's yes. really just keeps it alive. <laughs> keeps us going, man. Every time you ask for Ari to write you a letter back, he stays alive a little bit longer. So keep them coming. Another good question by Jaguar. I say Jaguar really weird, and this has shown me that. Okay, many folks were upset about Ari's death. Some folks were especially upset about how his death mirrored the kill your gaze trope. Was subverting the trope a factor in bringing back Ari in the end? I've done a lot of thinking about this trope, obviously, because, I mean, from the very beginning, like Cap said, episode one, he was thinking of Ari as a character that could and should possibly die in, in within the narrative. So uh, especially when we started telling that love story, I began to think about how we could subvert the trope while still making that happen for my player that wanted to make it happen. So yes, obviously this is something that I've thought about. Uh, I first of all had already begun to work against this trope by fostering other gay love stories. Uh, Jordan and Johnny, beautiful. We got Brittany and and Sarah, uh, you know, wonderful, both non-traumatic, just great 
love stories. Uh, so really, the don't bury your gays trope comes from writers who only write gay romances so that they can uh, die to serve the story in some way. And so we had already sort of subverted that trope by Ari not being the only gay character with a love story. But I still didn't feel right leaving Sieb with so much misery, particularly because he was sort of a Sisyphus character the whole uh the whole narrative of the show so i really wanted to give him some relief in the end um and also th with the whole chronicled narrative it just seemed to naturally lead to that it's like i couldn't really talk myself out of it because anytime i'm thinking about doing something that uh monumental i immediately try to figure out all the different angles about it but it just seemed to be the right thing to do for the story is to make the main characters the chronicle because that was such a cool magical narrative thread that we that we established all right from river another good question thanks river thanks river your questions are really great you're the bartender in tallahassee nights and i think that's neat have you guys made any friendships or connections from doing this show networking with other shows that you didn't expect would happen yeah, we have we have met so many amazing creators. I mean, we are so proud of the listenership that we've built. Uh, but even before we had very many people listening, like we were talking to some creators that we already respected before we started making our podcast, uh, who were totally willing to uh, to give us advice and help us out. We're good friends now with. Quinn from Monster, with all really all the people from Monster Hour, um, those awesome folks. Uh, I've had conversations with Rev from Crit Show. When we first started, Susanna from Thornvale was very supportive. Rev was awesome when we started out. Rev would message me randomly just to tell me people were talking about our show and his Patreon for Crit Show. Hearing that was like so, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Inspiring. Yeah, it was so inspiring to hear. First of all, somebody I looked up to so much, Rev, as a game Validating, writer. I think. Is, is yeah, it was super validating. Yeah. Hearing him come to me in my DMs, me, little nobody who just started the show, to tell me that people were talking about our show. That was like, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to go out of his way. And then to come on our show and be the voice of the guy who Ray Ray stole his pants. Like, come on. <laughs> That's great. That was so nice. Thank you, Rev. I also want to give a quick shout out to a lot of the other Monster of the Week people that we work with. Uh, I just I just love so, so many of these people in our community. Uh, Mr. Ray from Two Dollar Creature Feature and um, Natalie from Storyteller Squad. Reed and Amelia. Yes. From Bring Your Own Mech. Drea. Yeah, Drea from Bad Heroes. Um, so many amazing creators this the podcasting the actual play podcasting community is really honestly fantastic there's nothing like it that i've ever experienced and big shout out to ryan from don't wreck yourself mm -hmm. i just also i mean we've we've shouted out jaguar so many times but jaguar has been hosting our listening parties in multiple different discord channels since pretty much the beginning of our show and I cannot thank them enough. Jaguar, you are awesome. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you, Jag. Yes, thank you. All right, this question is from Linz. 
I can't remember if Barb was cursed or if there is a whole population of river maids out there. Um, also from Jake, if there are a bunch of river maids, where do they live and what do they do? Hmm. First of all, I know I've said this before, but I have to shout out my boss, Destin, who I love and hate. Uh, he's my <laughs> he's my manager at work, uh, and he's a great manager. Uh, and he was telling me about some. He's not even like he doesn't do a lot of character work. So he was telling me about this character that he had called Barb the River Maid, and she was a catfish from the waist up. She smoked camel cigarettes. And, uh, you know, like he just it was just like such a vivid description. And he did like one line like he spoke in Barb's voice. And I don't even know if my voice is close to what his voice was. But uh, but I totally was like, I'm putting this character on my podcast. And he jokes about suing me all the time. We'll see you in court, Dustin. Also, I quit. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I still need. I still need to wait tables. Um, okay, and then condomylobster.com to answer the question. In my mind, I know we never like officially answered this question, um, but in my mind, I was thinking about this character and how to incorporate it into our show, and I came up with the idea of Ray stumbling upon her on the retreat um, as someone that like his mother let stay there since she had no home uh, in my mind actually i think we actually stated this barb was she did she worked on the retreat before she mm -hmm. was a catfish person a river maid so in my mind i was hearkening to midsummer night's dream where goodfellow shows up and turns bottom into a donkey from the waist up so in my mind there was some mystery that Loretta, uh, maybe Loretta, Danny, and Ari were taking part in where a fae was going around and messing with people, turning them into uh, animal hybrids, and, and Barb just kind of became a victim of that, and they couldn't find a way to cure it somehow. Hmm, maybe we'll expand on that in a Patreon special. Give us your money, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, I want to keep in the 25 times that we have asked for money this episode. <laughs> Please don't. It's a joke. This question is from Jake. I want to start my own Monster of the Week campaign as work allows. I'm wondering how much work needs to be put in at the beginning versus as you go along for an engaging multi-arc story, which kind of goes off of the question we asked from him earlier um but i'm curious about this as well how much work do you have to put in ian for monster of the week honestly not much at all um i take <laughs> i have the um i mean not to say that there's none like you definitely need to put in some work beforehand uh but the i i have printed out the same copy I've had since the very, very beginning of me playing Monster of the Week, uh, the Keeper reference sheet, which on the back or on the second page of has a mystery creation kind of uh, worksheet. And it starts by asking, like, it goes through number by number. You establish your basic concept, you establish a hook, the threats, the countdown, uh, and then it gives you all of the monster types and gives you a template for creating its powers and its attacks and its armor and its harm capacity, its weakness, which is important to plan. Um, and then it gives you the same steps for creating bystanders and then the same steps for creating locations and minions. Um, so 
I would definitely obviously read through the book. I would print out that reference sheet. And uh, yeah, that's honestly, anytime I plan a Monster of the Week mystery, I start with that worksheet and I go through the whole thing. Shit, all you really need is a good monster. Everything else can kind of be improv. You get really good at improv uh, <laughs> running this game because you just kind of have to. And then you worry about the multi-arc story. You start with your first arc, start with your first monster. Worry about how the long-term plot folds in later. Take the nuggets that your hunters give you and build off of those to get, you know, for example, um, I didn't have a main villain for my campaign. Atlantis was established in my mind and in my plans, but they weren't the villain. The villain ended up became, becoming Goodfellow. Like the, the villain will present themselves because your players will say, your players will give you things that you can use uh, and they'll be more engaged that way. We have another question from Morgan for Ian. What were some of your proudest moments as a keeper, whether with the plot or with the hunter choices or reactions? And I want you to do your worst. I want you to make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> proudest moments. Honestly, my proudest moments were when, I mean, this is, is a cheese ball fucking thing to say, but my cheat, my proudest moments were when you guys did cool shit. Like uh, the, the first one that really jumps out at me is the Creole Croc arc where Ray Ray signs over the retreat to Peg as the as his way of beating the monster. To me, that was just brilliant. I as soon as he presented it to me, I was like, "We this has to be it." <laughs> I remember being really proud of episode fifteen, moments of brilliance and glory, because I was excited for Sieb Tate to be a thing, and I was excited for the Devil of Tate's Hell. I was super proud of getting to the Sky Song because that was like really when we kicked off the big uh, main plot things. God, I, I guess the three moments in my mind that really stick out with this question too are when each of you destroyed your nemesis, when Sarah kills Danny, when Ari kills Goodfellow, and then when Ray kills Genevieve. Those three moments are just just fucking checked all the boxes for me. Like, I don't know. I was just really stoked to get to those milestones. And I think they all were very, very satisfying for me. And I hope they were for you guys, too. Considering everything we got, we got what is it called? Three for three. We did. <laughs> yes, yeah. nice. We didn't even we didn't even miss a one. I think we did. We did pretty pretty well there. I was a little afraid that something would happen. Can I like turn that question on us a little bit? Like, what was your proudest moment as a player? I would love to hear that, actually. Oh shit! <laughs> I, I think off the top of my head, like Ari holding the Omni's hand and looking into the future. That was yeah. <laughs> that was that was a power play as a player on. Uh, in my case, but I think it narratively worked because we had done it a few times before. I'll I'll add to that. It um we played that like it was you guys w winning one over on me, and it and it was. But like to me, I was just so afraid to like make you guys do what I wanted you to do that I think mm -hmm. that I wasn't giving you enough information. So 
really that was yeah that was just a good moment but the three of us were terrified because we didn't know what to do so getting (laughs) a little bit of a vision of an idea really helped yeah i think um kissing seeb the first time was i'm very proud of that moment Mm -hmm. uh and then you fucking flipped it on me and made him the devil of tate's hell which was horrifying i was not expecting that (laughs) a crazy story (laughs) yeah and last one i think is quitting the fae that scene was very intense and manipulative and like kind of difficult to act in because of just how traumatic it was for the character um but those are definitely my top three most proud re moments i'm a victim of a fair amount of uh manipulation and abuse so i will say i will pat myself on the back for I don't think I knew I had it in me to play someone as abusive and manipulative yeah. as Goodfellow. And I think it was really weirdly cathartic to do so. Yeah, I think on, on both sides of us, uh, me being able to fight back against someone who is manipulative definitely was cathartic to real life. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Katie. What trauma did you work out? <laughs> I mean, the first moment that comes to mind, I know that we're, you know, we we keep coming back to this moment, but the, the fight in the cloud, I wouldn't say that was like any of our, you know, strongest moments as players by any means, but just like the feeling mm-hmm. that even just now that I get listening back to that episode and that moment, like, like the fact that we could just make that make you feel that yeah uh, we felt i think we all felt like actual actors and once that yeah. scene happened it felt real then yeah it, yeah yeah and then my other proud moment would be i think proudest moment would be defeating the devil of tate's hell i think that was the most badass that was yeah sarah, that was great. sarah moment of all time <laughs> right um we both call him Ray. <laughs> it's so close to Rye, okay? Yeah, so and also it's Rye Rye on Discord. It's yeah, very close to Ray Ray. I think my number one is letting Genevieve walk away. Mm, yeah. That's, that's just kind of Ray. Just like, I won, and I don't want to kill you because you're my family. Yeah. So it was very just, hey, just we're here. Please just let's be here and just go home. I'm most proud of that scene where after Ignis dies and Ari is in apotheosis mode and it's the first time Ray and Sarah see him like that. The speech that Ray gives to Ari is just... I'm making the symbol with my fingers. It was chef's kiss. It was just. Yeah, Ryan got some very down to earth, off the top of his head monologues that were one take and nobody saw coming. I I think what comes to mind is uh, the Ballad of Dump Truck, which is one of my favorite episodes in the show. The Mm -hmm. eulogy speech that he made off the top of his head and it is so moving. Mm -hmm. It's great. Hell yeah. Now I'm gonna cry. <laughs> uh, I mean, another yeah. If I'm if I'm not just talking and like if I'm not just talking about like speeches or anything like 
the moment Ray jumped off the bridge with the mm. egg that would become Alma. Yeah. Like I was very proud of that moment. That was a very cool. Just like that. Fuck. Really that entire arc. It's like, I was very proud of everything I did in that. Just as soon as I, I feel like I was the first to realize like, Hey, this isn't the bad guy. Like I'm going to do everything <laughs> I can to protect these monsters. And I feel like that's really what started uh, the Ray. Yeah. I'm going to protect these monsters campaign. Um, but yeah, Ray jumping off the bridge with the egg. Mm-hmm. Also, Ray, Ray sitting under the tree with Kev with Bigfoot in the rain mm. when he's just sad and confused. I was very. That was beautiful. I was yeah. very. I'm, I'm like that. I, I wish that was a print. Like I, that that lives like rent free in my head. Just the image of that. Just like when Ray just sits down next to him. Just like, hey, big guy. Davin, are you listening? <laughs> you've just got kidding. a you've got a you got a home if you want it like that. That moment was Both covered in pink paint. That moment was very big for me, too. That was sweet. Yeah, yeah that was good. All right. What do you have for us, Katie? The question everyone's been waiting for, asked by our good friend River. Another good question. What are the plans going forward for Shrimp and Crits? Are you planning to keep playing Monster of the Week? Are you planning to keep playing Monster of the Week? Or are you thinking of trying a different system? How much of a break can we expect as listeners? Well, the answer is we are effective immediately. <laughs> through with podcasting no <laughs> we're working on our country album oh take me to the clay aiken <laughs> we had a big plan for season two and it was Huge. going to be a cool plan it was going to be Gigantic. a good plan and it <laughs> would have been great it would have been fantastic so good we were going to play D&D Dungeons and Dragons. It was the game that we all got started playing. It's a game that we all love, but we started to second guess this when they were pulling the whole content license situation. And beyond that, um, when we decided to play D&D, we were a much smaller show, and we've grown a lot over the past few years, and I've become a more passionate consumer of indie TTRPGs. And so I believe that we have an obligation uh, to do our part in promoting a wider variety of systems and um, more indie systems. So in the interest of promoting other games and not being afraid that a large company is going to try to take away our IP because we're using their system... For season two, we have decided nothing. (laughs) (laughs) We are going to, rather than jumping straight into a new full feature-length narrative, we are going to try out a series of mini-arcs. We're going to try different genres and different systems. Uh, The only thing we know for certain for season two is we're not going back to Monster of the Week. It's my favorite game. It's a game that I love. It's a game that I will always love, but I am ready to play something new after two and a half years of running it for these folks. 
I thought you were about to say these fucks. Sorry. <laughs> these fucks? Yeah. <laughs> these motherfuckers. Uh, <laughs> and speaking of me running systems, the first one that we are going to be beginning will not be me as the GM. Does our new GM want to tell us what the first... <laughs> what I'm the, first the daddy now. <laughs> I'm daddy now. Surprise! It's me. I quit. Who would have thunk? <laughs> Do you want to tell us anything about it? Our friend's game system. Absurdia. He doesn't even know this will be a surprise to him. Hello, Quinn. I'm running a game of Absurdia for these weirdos. <laughs> um, We're not going to give too much away um but it is called whimsy world is that a big enough Ooh, hint <laughs> big hint big hint i'm gonna play a character yeah ian is a character i too will be playing at least one character <laughs> that's a hint too i will not guarantee that i play a character <laughs> <laughs> Because we talked too much about Ray's dad, and now you're not coming back. <laughs> but I might attend as a being. Ryan doesn't. He doesn't like his his wife to tell him what to do. Mm. <laughs> Outside well, of correction, I don't like anyone to tell me what to do. <laughs> no, you tell me what you do. That's how that works. I'm super excited. I've never run a game before. This will be something special, and you're all going to be along for the ride. <laughs> I can't wait. Wrong? Ride. What could go wrong? I'm so looking forward to not running the game. It's going to be. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Sit back and be a person. Be a single mm -hmm. person. Well, that concludes our final uh -huh. Q&A for season one. I can't believe we've made it this far. As usual, we want to thank you guys for listening. Thank you for sending in your questions. We literally could not do this without you guys. You mean the world to us. If your question didn't get answered, don't feel bad. There was so, 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 so many. So many. Thank you for everything. Yeah, you all really showed up this year. It is unreal how many questions we had. Thank you all. We love you. Merry Shrimp Miss to all and to all a good night. Bye-bye now. To all a good night. We can't ba -da wait to, to show you some things. <laughs> to answer how much of a break there will be, oh, I yeah. don't know. I don't know. Probably like a week. I mean, yeah, yeah. no break, really. We're kind of going right into it. <laughs> yep. We're, go we're diving head first. No rest for the wicked. Okay, bye. Bye.